Welcome to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast with Lauren Curry of Curry Financial Group Limited. In this podcast, we are focused on helping businesses set up and manage their group benefit plan to protect and assist their most valuable assets. Join us on this journey where Lauren explores ways to help you develop effective and cost-efficient strategies for your business. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Benefits of Knowledge with Lauren Curry. Lauren, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Eric. It's a beautiful day here in sunny Peterborough. Oh, that's awesome. That is fantastic. We're going to be talking about something that's very interesting to me and I think most of our listeners as well, and that is how to control drug costs or controlling drug costs is really the theme of this podcast. Out of curiosity, why did you choose that for today's podcast? Well, hopefully our audience, or hopefully you remember, we did the podcast last month with Martin Chung from Equitable Life, and Martin was discussing the drug landscape, as he called it. We briefly talked in that podcast about employers needing to decide what they want their plan to do for their company and for their employees. So I just thought we'd take that kind of pick up from where Martin had left off with that thought and get into what some of those questions were. Okay. And so what questions come to mind that you have to answer? Well, and this is really the employer needs to answer, right? But kind of two questions that come to my mind is number one is how important is it to the employer to reduce drug costs, right? Do they need Mm -hmm. to? Do they want to? How important is it that they do? Or do they need to at all? And then how strongly Does that employer believe that employees should share in the responsibility of the cost of their healthcare or their drugs in particular? Got it. Okay. And so what situations do you see with the employers when it comes to this? Well, I kind of look at it that there's three scenarios and the ideal scenario, I guess, and this would be an employer, let's say maybe in the tech space where it's very hard to get employees. There's a big competition. They're very specific on their skill set. So this company is usually going to be very profitable. So in an ideal scenario, there's cash to pay it. They need to provide it to get the employees to come to work there and stay there. Mm -hmm. Then that employer is probably going to be willing to accept, we'll say high inflation risk because obviously with the cost of drugs going up, And they really, as I say, want to provide the employees with that comprehensive benefit plan. So that would be number one, ideal. Not everybody has that kind of cash flow, number one. And not everybody, you know, their employees may or may not have specific skill sets. So then we got a scenario two, I'll call it, where the employer's willing to make some plan changes to reduce that exposure but they're still very sensitive to a pushback from the employees on, you know, perhaps cutting back or sharing costs on those, the healthcare plan. Mm-hmm. Scenario three, that's an employer that's, mil- they're willing to make significant plan changes. They think very strongly that it's a shared responsibility. The employees need to take part in helping pay for this stuff or take responsibility themselves. And this may be the key to making the plan actually sustainable so that they can continue their benefit plan. Got it. So it seems like there's just, it get a little complicated. So what options do employers have? Okay. So what drugs do they want to cover? Okay. Is kind of the first thing. Okay. 
what about the cost of that drug that they're covering? And we're going to get into more detail about this, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. and how much of the drug cost. So they got the cost of the drug, but how much of the drug cost is going to be covered by the plan? So yeah, that's those important. are, it is, it is. Again, every scenario could be totally different. So there's going to be some standard cost saving features that I think should be built into all plans. Mm-hmm. Like, so prior authorization for specialty drugs. So we've talked about specialty drugs in the past. Yeah. Actually, that's one of the things we talked to Martin about. And these drugs can be extremely expensive. So the insurance carrier is going to require that there's a pre-authorization for that drug. So meaning that, you know, they're going to make sure that it's necessary and being used for the right thing before they're going to authorize that drug to be paid for. So mm-hmm. I think that should be in all plans. A specialty drug preferred pharmacy network. So this is, you know, we hear about preferred deals and everything else, but there are, you know, some of these specialty drugs, the people that need them, you know, they have something pretty serious, obviously, or they're not going to be getting these types of drugs. A lot of these, maybe they're injections, not just taking a pill. And there might be a lot of other things that go along with prescribing these drugs. So if you have that specialty pharmacy network, they're really going to help your employees as well as contain costs on those. Mm. So that should be in, in all plans. Pay direct drug card that includes usual and customary price limits. This is one of the arguments years ago when I got into the business, it was something if somebody had a drug card, they could go to the pharmacy and just show that card and get paid. Most of them were you paid and you got reimbursed. Mm. But it's amazing the controls that the insurance company can put on that drug card, which, as I just mentioned, price limits. So maybe limiting the markup that that pharmacy is allowed to add on to for their part of the the bill, right? Yeah. In the old paper base where we just did the reimbursement, whatever the pharmacy put on the receipt that the person paid for, that's what they were going to end up being reimbursed for. So no mm-hmm. controls. This this now has controls. I don't think there's too many plans out there today that don't have that drug card. And over the last few years, we've seen most plans have moved to what we call mandatory generic pricing. So what mm. this means is if there's a generic version of a medication, then the plan is only going to reimburse for the cost of the generic version of that medication, not the name brand. Okay. Got it. Now, these generic prices or generic drugs, sorry, they have what they call the same efficacy as a brand name, but they're 10 to 25% of the cost of that brand name. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, it's a substantial savings. If anybody that can use generics, that they do, you know, you're paying 10 to 25% of the cost. Now, if it's medically necessary, then an exception is available. The idea is not to say, we're not going to pay for your drugs. It's just saying, we're going to pay for the least expensive that will work for you. Mm -hmm. In this situation, most of the time, from my understanding is it's probably maybe a person's allergic to something that's in like a filler or a food coloring dye that's in the generic that's not in the name brand. Maybe it's different. Yeah. So the bottom line is if it's medically necessary, you know, we just, we can get an exception put in there so that yours is paid for. That's good. Yeah. So 
We're also starting to see biosimilar drugs replacing biological drugs, which is, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail on this. Yeah. This is new <laughs> stuff, but it's similar to, but not the same as a generic versus a name brand drug. Okay. Hmm. We won't get into too much detail. I can tell you BC, British Columbia, completed implementing its switching to biosimilar program for certain patients in, back in March of 2020. And Alberta and Ontario have announced similar plans coming. So well, anyway, that's stuff that probably should be included in all of the plans. Yeah. And you just went through a lot of different scenarios. You know, there are <laughs> a lot of different yeah. things. Uh, so what does the plan design look like for all those different scenarios? How does that work? Okay. So the stuff I just talked about, I think that should be included in all plans, right? Okay, Not, yep. And so all three of our different scenarios, but going back into you know our ideal scenario, okay, that plan probably would not have what we call a co-insurance. In other words, that employer is not asking the employee to share in the cost. They're probably mm -hmm. paying 100%. Again, this is going to be a business that is, you know, has to work hard to attract and keep those good employees. It's probably not going to have what we call a dispensing fee cap. So if the dispensing fee at your local pharmacy is $11.99, some plans will say we'll only pay up to $5 for the dispensing fee. Anything above okay. that, you know, it's trying to force employees to shop around because you can get lower dispensing fees. Mm -hmm. There's probably no annual or lifetime drug maximums, right? So okay. it's, it's wide open. What do you need? That's what we're going to get. And the drug formulary would be what we call open, meaning we're not going to limit what drugs are covered. Okay. So that's your scenario, your ideal scenario. In the second scenario, we might see that coinsurance. So in other words, the employer could be saying to employees, okay, if you need medication, like, again, I encourage the employers to pay the premium, right? The monthly premium mm -hmm. on behalf of the employee because it's tax-free. But then if you use something on the plan, we call a coinsurance. So if it's an 80% coinsurance, that means the plan's going to pick up 80% of the cost. The employee would have to pay the other 20. Some of the situations we run into here, it's not too popular, but it could be a two-tiered coinsurance. So for generic drugs, the employer may say they may pay 80 or even 100% of the generic drug. Remember, they're less expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they may say, but if you need or you want a brand name drug instead, that's your choice, but we're only going to cover maybe 60 to 80%. Okay. And there's usually a 20% gap difference of what they're going to offer. Again, it's encouraging people to buy, be good consumers, buy the least cost medication. Again, that's going to work for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mentioned dispensing fee caps already. So we could have a dispensing fee cap or deductible, whatever you want to call it. It could be $5, $10, or, you know, the deductible could be the entire dispensing fee, right? Okay. So the employer is yep. going to pay for the medication, but you're going to pay, depending on where you want to go and get the medication, what pharmacy, you're going to pay their charge. So the dispensing fee. Mm -hmm. Some larger ASO plans, sometimes, this isn't too popular, but we do see sometimes there might be a $50,000 or $100,000 annual maximum or even a lifetime maximum on a plan. So they're only willing to invest 
a certain amount of money over over a time period. Okay? Gotcha. So that would be scenario two. Then scenario three, we're going to include probably all the things that we had in scenario two. But now we may, again, these are situations where the employer is saying, look, I want to provide a basic health care plan for people. But I'm not giving the farm away. Yeah. This is going to be a limit. So that limit might be a drug cap of $5,000 or $10,000 per year. Okay. So they're not going to get into paying for these high-dollar drugs. Okay? okay. Again, it's better to have a plan that pays for $5,000 worth of drugs than have no plan. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is where we get into the scenario, especially right now with, you know, we're in the, obviously this COVID thing. There's a lot of employers out there that are really being squeezed on the financial side. So these could be extreme things that have to be done in order to control costs. Got it. Okay. We could have, you know, a prior authorization for a drug. Maybe that's not a specialty drug, but it may be a more expensive drug. Okay. So again, just adding on more mm-hmm. controls. And then we talked a little bit about what drugs are covered. So that's what we call a drug formulary. So the drug formulary in these plans could mimic the national or the provincial formularies, which cover less drugs than your standard healthcare plan. Okay. So we're going to limit what medications are actually covered. Mm -hmm. Then we get in kind of the newest option out there. There's now, and it's only available in certain places, certain companies, there's a formulary that does not cover high cost drugs that are normally over about $10,000 per year. Okay. So in this case, the employer is not putting a drug limit on the case or the plan, but they're saying that if you are taking a medication that is worth or cost 10,000 or more dollars per year, then it is not covered in the formulary. So why would we do that? So the idea is in Ontario, we have what we call the Ontario Trillium Drug Plan, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a government thing. And so if that drug is not covered on your private health care, then we can push that over. And if it's on the Trillium formulary, then we can get the Ontario government to chip in, okay? okay. I won't get into the details about that. That'd be a topic maybe for another day, but there is government help there. So there's a way to just deflect them away from our private plan. All right. Okay. And then, you know, there are programs like drug companies do have programs where they help people out with the cost of the the plan. Again, this is just all stuff to cover those high dollar claims. My opinion is they talk about a national pharmacare plan and everything I think what the government really needs to take a look at is I think our drug plans work great the way they are. I think it would be helpful to employers if the government just picked up the cost of these high dollar claims because those are the ones that really upset, you know, our plans and when we get to renewals and stuff like that. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. So just to give you an idea on those high dollar claims, one of the companies in my block of business, the specialty drugs accounted for 0.9% of the number of claims. But if you look at how many dollars, it was about 30% of the dollars that went through the program. Wow, that's a big difference. 
Exactly. And that's because these claims are very expensive. That was back in 2019 and it's just getting more and more expensive. Yeah. Again, just another kind of stat from 2019. And this comes from the Patent Medicine Prices Review Board. 56% of the new drugs that were launched in 2019 cost over $100,000. What? Yeah. As Martin mentioned, we're seeing drugs that cost over a million dollars now. Hopefully we don't see them too often, but that's the type of things that are out there. Is it going to make me 20 years younger? I mean, <laughs> for that kind uh, no. of money, I'll, if I can take a pill that's going to knock 20 years off my life as far as, you know, I feel younger and look younger. Sure. Yeah. You know, oh, cheap at Christmas. <laughs> okay. So these expensive drugs are for very rare diseases. That's why they're so expensive because it's, yeah. they're not widely purchased, right? So there's that, yeah, true. you know, so the volume of medication being purchased is very low for these, but these rare diseases, you know, these could be lifesavers to people. Yeah, yeah. This is, is standard of living, you know, whatever you want to call it, but they're fabulous things. But what we have to be careful about is, and this is why these prior authorizations that we talked about, so 37% of some of these new expensive drugs only have a slight to no improvement over existing treatments. Isn't that like, why are we paying a hundred thousand dollars for wow. a drug if it doesn't make a big improvement? Right? Yeah. So this is why it's important that the insurance companies, they have to look at it and say, is this drug that much better than the one that we were previously using for the same treatment? If it is, then they're going to add it. But if it yeah. isn't, okay, they're not. So 37% have a slight to no improvement and another 27% have moderate improvement. So again, lots of moving parts when it comes to that, as Martin says, the drug landscape. We do need to work with our insurance carriers. You know, let them help us make sure we're controlling those costs. But anyway. Hopefully, those three scenarios maybe will help our audience understand. Again, these are conversations we have, but you need to have that conversation with your advisor. Is what is it you're trying to do for your employees? What's affordable for your situation? Mm -hmm. And then we need to design that, that plan design that's going to fit, help your employees, and at the same time, make it affordable for the company. Yeah. I would think that any business owner out there is saying, I want to help my employees as much as possible, but there has to be a line drawn in the sand at some point to where if I provide too much, then that's to the detriment of the company, people lose jobs or businesses suffer, right? right. You can't have that because then there's people suffering. And then, you know, you want to make sure people are covered as best you can. But again, there's a balancing act. How do you help employers kind of find that balance? So they, they don't feel like, man, I'm not providing enough, but be able to say, look, this is something you've got to have those limits because your business at this point and at its stage can't handle too much more because it'll be to the detriment of the business. Right. Well, again, a lot of it is conversation with the business owner or the controller, the finance department, whoever's mm -hmm. looking after the money. It's a conversation there. You know, maybe we come up with a plan design that we think is going to work financially, but the business owner is saying, well, you know what, but I also have to be able to attract and keep 
mm-hmm. good employees, well, then what we can do is we can turn around and do a benchmark of similar companies in the same sectors, whether it's manufacturing or retail or whatever. We can do a benchmark nice. and we can go out and say, okay, your competitors or your peers in your sector, this is what they're offering. And then mm-hmm. we can look at it and say, well, we're in the ballpark. This should work. Or guess what? We've cut too deep. Yeah. We, we need to add a little bit back. We can't uh, go as far. But it's a lot of communication and studying what's going on out there. And that's about all you can do. Yeah. Now, I, I remember we spoke on a previous podcast that I know that you help your clients kind of take a look at this on a fairly annual basis. Because I know that, especially with drug prices, they fluctuate. Sometimes they'll go up, and I don't know how often you see it, but sometimes the drug prices actually do go down. And just one example, I had a friend of ours that was on a, we had never heard of it before, but he was on a pill that he took, I can't even tell you the frequency of it, but he had a form of leukemia, and the pill Mm. kept it at bay. So basically, it stopped the cancer from progressing. He lived a fairly normal life. When he started taking that pill, it was $20,000 a month that the pill cost or the set of pills, whatever it was on that monthly basis. And it was a couple of years later, he was still taking it and he had found out that the pill was reduced to about $10,000 per month, which is, you know, (laughs) still a huge amount of money. But yes, you know, I'm assuming that you help your employers look at that and say, okay, here's some adjustments that can be made based on what you're seeing on a a yearly basis. Yeah. So we do quarterly claims reports. Mm -hmm. at least every six months, again, depending on the size of the company, right? So we're looking at that. And if we see the costs or the claims jump up for any reason, Mm -hmm. then Joan will run what we call a DIN report. It's a drug identification number. Every medication has a DIN. Okay. And we don't know who's taking medication because everything's private, of course, but we can Mm -hmm. run that report and we can see what are the drugs. And we're always looking at like, what are the top 50 or 25? But really, we're looking usually at the top two, three drugs maybe on the program yeah. to see what's changed, what's happened. Got it. So in, in you can't change too much about that, but at least the employer's aware of what's going on. Yeah. And you can begin to plan when it comes time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or... Is there something we need to maybe be offering employees that maybe there's a lot of mental health Mm -hmm. drugs going through the program? So we may, again, depending on what some of those drugs are, maybe we know that there's overuse of alcohol or drugs or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if we see multiple claims going through for this stuff, well, then maybe as the employer, we should be looking for a program to help employees manage their, yeah. you know, whether it's their alcohol consumption. As we all know, and you hear in the news during COVID, there has been a huge increase in the consumption of alcohol. Mm-hmm. People that would never have dreamt of having a drink during the day when they were at work, they're all working <laughs> at home. That's right. right? And uh, well, maybe I'll have a one drink when I'm having my lunch. You know what I mean? Maybe they're sitting by the pool while they have their lunch or something. Well, That's right. You know, this stuff is happening. So again, we can look at what's being claimed and maybe we should be offering some kind of a program to assist those employees 
on a very confidential basis and try and get in front of that before it becomes a real issue for the employee and maybe even turn into like a disability claim, right? Yeah. So next month, we're going to have somebody, we're going to talk about a plan that will do exactly that. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. So I don't want to give away too much information. (laughs) That's right. A good teaser. Well, that's a great spot to wrap up today's podcast. Lauren, thank you so much for all the great information. I know that you're on top of this and that's why you're putting out these podcasts is to educate those employers so they can be on top of it too. If somebody is listening to this going, Hey, this is something I need to review or man, you brought up some really, really good points. Lauren, how do they reach you so they can ask you those questions or begin this journey? Okay. So, and again, I know I threw a lot of stuff out there. I think today, Eric, so I'm pretty sure people may have questions about this. Uh huh. Just give us a call. Our toll-free number here is 1-866-445-4424. They can find us on the web at currayfinancialgroup.com. And bottom line, if you just want to pop me an email, it's Lorne, that's L-O-R-N-E, at curry, which is C-U-R-R-Y, financialgroup.com. Perfect. More than happy to answer any questions people have. Yeah, absolutely. Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. I know all the listeners do as well. And speaking of you listeners, our last thank you goes to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast with Lauren Curry. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Lauren comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Curry Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.